right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we're going to be looking at some things there. I do want to thank you for getting here today. Uh, thank you for joining us here. I know for some of you, you normally come in at 9.30 for this service uh, or this gathering, uh, but we do welcome you here at the 11 o'clock gathering. Now, let me say this. Miss Betty McIntyre informed me a while ago that if she could be here today, anybody could be here today. So uh, if you want to use that to put the guilt trip on the people who didn't show up, that's perfectly fine with me. So anyway, I do want to thank our deacons. I think many, some of our deacons try to get out there and get you in here without getting soaked. Uh, we want to thank them. Yeah, uh, and then also our uh, some of the teenagers agreed to be greeters this morning. We definitely thank uh, for you stepping up. Yeah, let's give them a round of applause. We appreciate that. <laughs> Parenthood. How many of you agree that it changes everything? Oh yeah. Parenthood changes everything. Matter of fact, parenthood changes with each child that's added into the family. The first child, you spend time every day just gazing at the incredible miracle of life. The second child comes and you spend a bit of every day watching to be sure your older child isn't squeezing, poking, or hitting the other child. The third child, you spend a little bit of time every day trying to hide from the children. <laughs> I think anybody who's had more than one child definitely can relate to these type things. And you may be here today and you may say, well, I have no children. I'm not interested in having children. Uh, I'm a teenager. What does this have to do with me? Hey, I raised my kids. They're out of the house. Well, you're a grandparent, right? Listen, we all have influence, I believe, in many children's lives. Whether it's our own, those across the street, those are right there at another generation from us, or, or maybe one day we're hoping to have children. And I think it's important that we understand that we are not born with the parenting guide. How many of you know that, right? Uh, we don't even get that. It's just something that we attempt to do as we're having children. So today what I want to do is I want to start a new series called The Family Wish List. And today we're going to look at the topic, What I Wish My Parents Knew. What I Wish My Parents Knew. Now, I'm not talking about when your children are elementary age. I'm not talking about when they're teenagers. I'm talking about when your children become adults themselves, what would they say that they wish that you knew? You, you see what I'm talking about? When they become Mature adults, what do they wish that you would have ingrained in them? Right now, it's a very painful process if they're still in the house. I understand that. I've been there myself. But the thing I want you to get your mind around is this whole idea that as a parent, I want you to think about this. What are you trying to accomplish? What is your mission statement? Are you in it just to survive it? Some of us would probably say, yeah, there are times in which that is the case. And I understand that also. But listen, describe the adult you desire your child to become. I think so many times when it comes to parenting, we get caught up in the busyness and we fill the voids with busyness and we're going here, we're going there, and we never take the time to say, okay, what's the end goal here? What are we trying to accomplish? Better yet, what would God have us to accomplish with this child that he's placed in our home? What would he say? Another way of looking at it. 
What will your future adult child thank you for as it relates to your parenting in the present? Now, let me stop right there before we go any further. We as parents, I think everyone in here who's ever been a parent, and maybe that time has passed, we all have regrets. There have been those things that we probably wish we'd have focused on more. There are those things in which we wish we would have done more. There's those times we wish we'd have made a better decision. There's those times we wish we would have kept things together. And I understand that. Every parent that I've ever met has had regrets. And, and let me just say this. I think many parents who, are, who, who have, have raised their children and now they're, maybe they're in our place where me and my wife are as empty nesters, we do look back. We wish we'd have focused on certain things more than others. We wish we would have uh, maybe focused more on this and that. I understand every bit of that. Every parent I've ever met has regrets. So this sermon is not to, to, to give you information to make you feel uh, worse, so to speak. It's here to help those of you who are in the process, maybe you're in the trenches now, to help you move forward as it relates to you being a parent. So look at the introduction on your outline. As parents, our desire to please our children should not be mostly determined by what they wish in the present as preschoolers, children, or teenagers, but in the future as young adults. Parents must see the big picture to achieve what God desires for their children. This requires unconditional and sacrificial love balanced with something that is called tough love. We need to encourage and inspire our children, but we also need to help bring discipline into their lives. And it's so important that we do that. Now, there's several things I want to point out for you this morning as it relates to what I believe God's Word has to say about certain things we should uh, uh, at least foster in our children's lives. And the first thing is obvious. Look on your outline. Thanks for teaching me. This is your adult child. Thanks for teaching me to love God's, and we're going to look at three categories, but to love God. Thank you for teaching me to love him. What does Deuteronomy say about that? Look at Deuteronomy 6 here on the screen. It says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And that's where we should be as individuals. But then, how do we pass that on? And you shall teach them diligently, diligently. This is something that's ever before you. Ways in which you can create this love affair between your child and the God of this universe. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You see, so many times we think that as parents, to get them to understand who God is, we just need to sit down as a family and we need to huddle around for about 20, 30 minutes a day. That'll be just enough to give them what we think is enough. And by the way, that, that's an excellent goal to have those times where you come together. But the Bible here is very clear. It's a, more than just teaching them knowledge about who God is. It is demonstrating that love that you have in a practical way that they can also see that. And so it's what he says when he says when you're sitting in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. It's teaching them as you go. So God is addressing the parents in this verse. Now, according to Barna, 
A Barna National Survey, 85% of parents, now this blew my mind, 85% of parents believe they have the primary responsibility for the moral and spiritual development of their children. I thought it would have been a little lower. Yet more than two-thirds of them, listen to this, two-thirds of them abdicate that responsibility to their church. Now, now, let me tell you where we make mistakes as parents. When we say, okay, I'm trusting the schools to, to provide an education for my child, okay? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. There, I think a good education is a, a worthy goal, whether you're doing it right there in the home or in the public school system, the private system, whatever it is, I think education is very important for a child. But then, many parents, what they say is, and as we give our children to the public school system or whatever system that we put in place, we also take our children to church, and it is there that we want the church to give them the spiritual development that they need. Now, let me tell you something about the church. I believe the church is, an impo is very important to your child. I believe that God desires your children to be raised in a church family. I believe it's God's desire that you be a part of a church family. That's where transformation takes place. That's where things happen. But for you as a parent to say, I am trusting all that with the local church is, is a mistake. Because those children, and we're going to see here in just a minute, they need someone to, to, to mirror their life after, to, to mentor them. And, and guess what? It can't happen one hour or two hours a week. It takes you as parents to say, yes, church is going to be a priority in our family because we believe Christ died for the church. We believe that is where spiritual development can take place. But I, as a parent, I want the church there to enhance that for my child, but I am responsible for it as a parent to give them that. That's the picture that you see in Scripture. Now, God's plan is for parents, listen, to lead in the spiritual development of their children. The church therefore enhances what should be going on in the home. And I believe that's so true. So look on your outline. Thanks for teaching me to love God's ways, his ways. In Psalm 119, I want you to look at verse one. Now, now let me just say this, and I kind of kid around with this, but if you're ever on Jeopardy and they ask, what is the longest chapter in the Bible? What would you say? Psalm 119, this is it. So you learn something. If you don't take anything away from this today, you've learned that, right? So look at Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. He's talking about the person that receives the blessings from God. Now let me ask you this. Do you want to raise your child that they can receive the blessings from God? Of course you do. We would be crazy if we didn't want that for our child. And so basically, he says, those who are blessed are undefiled. That means they don't walk in the way of evil and, and those things that are offense uh, to God, but they walk in his, who walks in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Verse 3, they also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Verse 4, you have commanded us to keep your precepts, how? Diligently. Verse 5, oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. 
then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. The psalmist here, we're not really sure who exactly wrote this. Some people say King David possibly did, uh, but many people believe it could have been anybody. But what's interesting about the psalmist here, he's basically saying, you know something? I'm basically, I realize I am nothing apart from the word of God. And for me to clearly understand God's ways and what God desires for me and how the way to, to move towards a blessing in my life, I've got to understand his precepts, his statutes, his principles, his commands, and especially his ways. Second of all, thanks for teaching me to love God's word, to love God's word. Psalms 119 if you were to look in, in these next verses, or starting with verse 9, what you'll find is there's several things that benefit us when we know God's Word. And the first thing we see there in verse 9 is a cleansing effect. Now, this is not on your outline, but we see a cleansing effect. Look at verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. So if I want to be cleansed, let's just say I, I mess up in life. And by the way, how many of us have done that? Yeah. We learn that there is that place in which God can bring cleansing, that we don't have to live with the shame and guilt anymore, that we can come before him in his word and realize there's a plan that God has set before us. But what do we see? Many times we see teenagers. They have no clue as to what to do with their shame and their guilt. And many times, and, and listen, you may say, but wow, you're jumping to something big here. I, I hate to tell you this, but many times the reason you see so many teenagers committing suicide, part of the underlying reason is they don't know what to do with their shame and the guilt because there's so many things that are available to teenagers these days, more than when I came through. And so you've got all these things that are coming out, and he says there's a cleansing way that God can cleanse my way. Next, we see in verse 10 a controlling effect. It says, with my whole heart have I sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. It's that whole idea, I found the way. I, I, did, I did wind up in, in trouble. But you know something, shame and guilt, there's been a way that's been provided. And now I want these controlling influences in my life. I want to be controlled by your commandments and your word. Next, a correcting effect. Verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know what that literally means? This is a person... And this is the way I think we should attempt to raise our children. We get them to love God's word as something that is more cherished than what this world offers. Something more cherished. That this is the goal. Now you say, man, that doesn't even sound like it's attainable. It is. It's not something we can just go say, okay, kids, we want you to love God's word. <laughs> And, and you're not going to see daddy do it often or mom, but we expect this of you. <laughs> you, you see, we, we got to realize we got to be the one that steps up. Your word I've hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. When you move down to verses 13 through 16, it, it talks about the one who does rejoice in God's word. Look at what it says. With my lips, I've declared all the judgments of your mouth. I've rejoiced in the ways of your testimonies as, as, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You see, what I believe this is saying is we as parents, we as grandparents, we as parents possibly will be one day, we are responsible for them 
to trust in God's word, to find direction from God's word. And we are there to model that before them. Next, love God's will. In Proverbs, we have basically the whole idea of Solomon's teaching uh, his children. And basically, he's giving them instruction. And in verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, many of you know this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. It's that whole idea that God has a plan for your life. That's really what this is saying. Wouldn't it be cool for our kids to be raised in such a way that they know that they're special to the heart of God? And by the way, you are, they are. Special to the heart of God. But it's much more than that. It's not like God wound up the planet and threw you into it and said, okay, fend for yourself. No, he not only created you, he's got a plan. He's got a purpose for what he desires to do in your life. And our children need to sense that. They need to know that. They need to be raised with that awareness that God has a plan for them. Proverbs 16, 9 says this, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Another way of looking at it, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation, when there's nothing from God, no vision, the people, you might as well say the child, cast off restraint. That means they move towards rebellion, but happy is he who keeps the law. It's that whole idea of keeping the right thing before your children, Namely, the word of God from the message, a paraphrase of it. Look at what it says. It says, if people or the children can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. When they see God interacting in their life, when they see God interacting in their family, when all of a sudden their parents' faith becomes their faith, all of a sudden they have direction. They may do wrong, but they know how to get back from the wrong. You understand what I'm saying? And they realize there's a greater plan than the wrong because they follow the heart of God. Here's the footnote. The mode of teaching in Scripture is always modeling and mentoring. It's not the exchange of knowledge. It's not to say, okay, sit down, kids. I'm going to give you all the attributes of God. And, and when I'm through, I want you to name them. Listen, there's nothing wrong with giving them that knowledge. They need to know who they're serving. They need to know the heart of God. But they also need something in front of them that models what's expected of them through God's word. It is his will. It is his ways. It is his word. Parents... We should be mentors. Here's the way I think it ought to look. We need to teach our kids. How many of you, let me say this. How many of you are aware that you will never be around your kid 24-7? You know that, right? Now, some of you, what do they call it? Helicopter parents? You got these helicopter parents that, no, 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 they will never be out of my sight. Yeah, they will one day. I hate to say it. Uh, they may crash the helicopter, but anyway, they're, they're going to be out there on their own. And here's what I, I, I would say. We need to get them more than what, we, they need to understand that they're more than accountable to just us. That there is a God that, that created them. There's a God that has a plan for their lives. There's a God that's always watching. And while you may not be around, he is around. 
And the way I understand it as it relates to God's word, especially here in Psalms 119, we need to get our kids in, in such a way where they're understanding God's ways, his will, and his word in such a way that literally before they sin, they have to step over God's love for them. And that needs to be ingrained in them. They need to know the word of God, his will, and his ways. Next, if you were to talk to adult children who have the blessings of God upon themselves, uh, here's what they'll thank their, kid or their parents for. Thanks for teaching me to value responsibility. Value responsibility. Now, how in the world do you do that? In the book of Proverbs, Solomon, as I said, is instructing his sons, really probably his children. All through Proverbs, he talks about the lazy man. Now, let me tell you what the lazy man really is. It's the person who's not disciplined, nor the person who values responsibility. Now, now how many of you know people like that? Now, let me ask you this question as parents. Is that your goal for your children? To get them to the point where they value no responsibility and they're not disciplined. How many of you say, that is the goal I have for them? When they get out there, <laughs> that's not your goal. But my question to you is this. What are you doing to keep that from happening? You do know that the verses I'm getting ready to tell you, if you leave a child and, 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 and you start trying to, to bring everything to them and they don't learn discipline and the value of responsibility, they will become the lazy man. You do understand that, right? Let me tell you about what Solomon says about that. The lazy man, he has nothing. Listen, the soul of a lazy man desires, he wants everything, but he has no way of making it possible for himself. But he has nothing. He hasn't learned the value of discipline. He, hasn't, he or she hasn't learned the value of responsibility. Next, the lazy man will not plow because of winter. It's the person that's always making excuses. How many of you have seen lazy people and all they do when you try to challenge them, they offer excuses? I don't know about you, but I was one of those type of parents when they started bringing the excuses. I bet, no, you just get out there and you do what I said. <laughs> I was one of those. It wasn't because I was trying to, I needed this done or uh, Jonathan, he always remembered, yeah, every time we, fall came, I loved that time of year. You had me out there picking up sticks and raking leaves. And... Now, is that so I didn't have to do it? Partially. <laughs> <laughs> but I found something that I thought could help instill in him a responsibility. I wanted him to value responsibility. My, my daughter, she didn't have to do a thing. But anyway, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. We, we found ways. We found ways. But listen, the lazy man, he desires, but he does not have. Listen to this. The desire of the lazy man kills him for his hands refuse to labor. He refuses to be disciplined. He refuses to value responsibility. Again, is that a goal that you have for your children or your grandchildren? We wouldn't, no, that's not what we want. Well, are you intentionally doing something about it? Next, he's helpless. This, again, is not on your outline, but he's helpless. You know why he's helpless or she's helpless? It's because they're too self-dependent upon you. Listen, when your child, when that little infant you're holding, and you see all those 
dreams and desires you have for that infant. You know what I'm talking about? And you look in their eyes and see the miracle of life, and you get all giggly and giddy. I mean, it's like, yeah, wow, look at that. That's amazing. It's my child. God gave me this child. You realize by age two, you're not thinking that way. (laughs) But you know what that child's doing? When that child learns how to walk, guess what they're doing? They're trying to get away from you. There's something built into them that says, let me get away from you. But here's what you need to understand. That is a beautiful picture. God gives us that child. We bring that child. We begin to discipline that child. We teach that child to value responsibility and the goals and the attempts to listen. Not that they become dependent upon us, but they can become independent. That they can go into the world and function and be productive and seek God's heart and fulfill what God has for them. But you would think sometimes watching parents, it's like, <laughs> I've watched parents, I've watched kids, teenagers especially, no offense, but I've seen it, but they treat their parents like the ATM machine. Or they treat the parents like, you know, it's just, <laughs> well, you don't get it for me. All I got to do is whine enough or pout enough or I'll get in there somehow. It'll happen. You can trust me. Make it. <laughs> Parents, you got to stand firm. You, you, you got to say, no, this is, I mean, think about this. Think about what God desires for your child. Try to get it in your mind. Some of us have never even thought this way as parents. Again, we, we, we go from googly-eyed to what's going on to, <laughs> and, and we never think, okay, what's the end goal here? What's the What's, what are we moving towards here? And then once we discern from God what the end game is and what, what, he's, what he's given us and what we've done, and, and as we begin to invest in that child, we begin to say, okay, okay, I'm starting to see some things here now. Now, if I let this come in, this is going to take away from what I think God's doing. And that doesn't need to be there anymore. And, and you need to add what's necessary. Here, here, here it is. <clears throat> the, he's helpless. He's too dependent. Look, look at what happens to him. Proverbs 22. The lazy man says, there's a line outside. I shall be slain in the streets. He can't take care of himself. He, he can't stand up the challenges. He has no discipline in his life. He's helpless. I think it's a shame that a lot of young men in their 20s are still living at home playing video games all day. It's a shame. It's time to value responsibility. It's time to get out there and discipline yourself and be someone who... who, who God can use in his kingdom and, and, and to shake and move things. Proverbs 26. How many of you know that person that seems to know everything, but they do nothing? You ever met those people? The Bible says something about it. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Lastly, lazy man, he will be a burden for many years of your life. Look what the Bible says. He who pampers his servant... You could put child there easily. 
He who pampers his child from childhood will have him as a son till when? In the end. There's a good chance they'd never move out of the basement. I'm serious. It's, it's, it, be, what's the end goal? What are we trying to do here? Here's the footnote. Responsibility is expected all through life in every area of life and should be learned very early in life. We didn't do this well with our kids, but I'm glad my kids are doing better than we did in this area. Before, uh, when uh, Jonathan and Chris will come over to pick up the boys, they say, okay, now let's clean up the mess. And they, they don't, they got, I don't know what they've done. They might beat them to death. I don't know. But anyway, all of a sudden they just start doing what they're supposed to do. Doing it. They start putting things away. I'm sitting there like, man, that's pretty cool. Even the three-year-old. Now he, he, he'll give them a little lip every now and then, but, <laughs> but, but, but he'll go and he'll throw, I mean, it's, it's it, and y'all, it can start there. But so many times when, oh, I don't want my baby to ever have to think about doing anything. Bless your heart. Huh? Next, thanks for teaching me to appreciate discipline. I believe that's what your adult child would say, looking back. Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, just as a father should in the son in whom he delights. Here's another one, Proverbs 13. Here it is, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 22, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Now, don't leave here today saying, preacher gave me permission to beat the kids. <laughs> if they need it, give it to them. I'm telling you. <laughs> but you don't necessarily have to do it that way. There's other ways you can discipline children. You can. Now, for I had two children. There's one you had to beat. And there's one you just had to look at. I'll let you decide which one that probably was. <laughs> But, but, but it's that whole idea of, of, of bringing discipline. Listen, uh, Proverbs uh, 23, 13, and 14. L let me show you how far it can go. Do not withhold correction from, from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he won't die. You shall beat him with a rod and possibly deliver his soul from hell because you're teaching him something. You're getting his and her attention. To, to be able to instruct them. Listen, if, you have no dis, no, if that child has no discipline in their life and you haven't demanded that of them, you will never be able to instruct them. And we're called to do that. Footnote, D discipline gives a platform for parents to speak into the lives of their children. Sometimes you gotta get their attention. When it, listen, when it comes to discipline, remember one size does not fit all. If you have five children... I guarantee you, 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 you probably have five different strategies of how to discipline those five because they're all different. Some of them you got to get in their face and you got to literally hold their ears and say, look at me. Other ones, all you got to do is give them a look. I'm serious. You know what I'm talking about. But it's necessary. Listen, discipline is necessary to get their attention, but it's not necessary to crush their spirit. 
And you got to learn the fine line there. And sometimes it's difficult, and sometimes you'll make mistakes in that process. But the goal is to be heard. The goal is to be respected enough in your child's life that you can be heard and that they can take what you said to the bank. That's what they need. Every child needs accountability. I hear some parents say, well, I trust my teenager. (laughs) Sorry. I was hoping y'all wouldn't be here today, but. (laughs) You know, let's be sensible here. Psychologist Henry Brandt tells the story of his son getting mad at him because he would not let his son drive down to the lake with his girlfriend after dark. You've heard me say this before, but this is this. His son said, Dad, don't you trust me? Brent then said, in a car alone at night with a beautiful girl. You know what the father said after that? Son, I don't trust myself in that situation. Think about that. Parents, don't be naive. Don't be naive. Listen, I made some severe mistakes in my, I believe in my, because I was naive. But, but, but let me say this. It could be, maybe it's not even being naive. This is going to hurt. Maybe you're just lazy as a parent. And you just cave in to whatever they want and say, well, go ahead. Go go do whatever you're going to do. We need to learn what's best for them. We need to get their attention. We need to speak into their lives. And we don't need to quit until we're able to because that's what God's called us to do. I want to skip here. I'm I'm actually running over. Teach me, thanks for teaching me to respect authority. Teenagers, children, preschoolers, two-year-olds, they don't see that at the time, trust me. But they do. And it's not one of these things where you do what I said because I say so, or you do as I say, not as I do. No, we got to mentor what this looks like. Listen, Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is the way, if you want the right path, if you want the the path of blessings, if you want the path of fulfillment in your life, listen to your parents. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Well, what's the promise? Well, if you do it, it may be well with you and you may live long upon the earth. And you fathers, this is all in the same context, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't don't discipline them because they're not living up to your ego. Don't discipline them because they embarrassed you in front of your buddies. Every time you discipline your child, it's with the best intentions at heart for them. Discipline is not about you. Discipline is about what they need. And and if you've got to get them to that point where they respect you as that authority, you've got to bring it. You got to bring it. He says, don't provoke your children to wrath. You you know what else he's saying there? He's saying, listen, I want you to get to a point in your child's life where they don't always walk away from you being angry because you had to discipline. But but maybe you did have to discipline. You had to get there. But you got there and you got their attention. How? 
He says, to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You're building a platform to be heard in their life. How many times have you, how many, let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, I want you to think about it. This lets you know you're on the right path. How many of you have ever had a kid in which you disciplined and a little bit later they came up and just hugged you and they almost felt closer to you after that because you did do that? Somebody's like, I ain't never had a kid like that. <laughs> well, let me just say this. That kid, whether it's an eight-year-old or two-year-old or a 16-year-old or whatever, that kid is on to something. That's the kind of reaction you need to bring where they know. You know what got me more upset with my children? The fact that they put me in a position to have to discipline them. Because I hate confrontation. I hated it. I hated going there. Last thing I wanted to hear when I got home from work was, you need to go talk to your son. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, what do you do now? No, no, I mean, not just him, anybody, I mean, anybody. <laughs> Teaching respect authority. Look at the footnote. All authority comes from and is mandated by God. He uses authority to bring order and structure to our lives. Without authority, life makes no sense and has no boundaries. As parents, we need to teach our children to not only respect our authority, but also the authorities over them. I don't know about you, but man, if my teacher ever called my mom and said, Brian needs some correction in his life. My mom never took the side of me. I talk to teachers today, and it blows my mind how many times the parent goes back after the teacher. I mean, let some of you teachers in there, yeah, that's right, you tell them. But it blows my mind that they're not teaching their children that this is an authority in your life. You listen to them. Listen to them. Law enforcement, same way. Now, I know that there can be abuses in these situations. But that's, that's few and far between. That teacher, that law enforcement officer, they have the benefit of the doubt from me until they prove otherwise. And I will make sure that my child understands I'm not only authority in your life, this person is, and this person is, and this person is, and God said you better obey them. In closing, <laughs> your child needs you to give them certain things, and it's not the world. It's what God desires for them. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. Listen, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give you something that's coming up. In May, some of your parents, maybe, maybe you want to learn more about this. I'm going to do a three-week series of this in May on a small group level. And we're going to have about, I'm going to allow, we're going to let 15 couples sign up. I want to keep it intimate. So in May, we're going to offer a three-week class on Sunday mornings and I'm going to go through and I'm going to show you some things. I won't be as hard on you as I am up here. It's easy to be. No, I'm just kidding. But I want to challenge you to give your kids exactly what they need from God's word. It won't be my opinion. It won't be some psychologist's opinion. It's what I found in God's word that I can pull up that can show you what God desires for your children. And that's coming up. I hope you'll make a note of it. And we'll, we'll talk more about that later. But here's the application. Parenting is about direction, 
and not perfection. You're not going to get everything right. There's times you should have been more disciplined to discipline them here. And there's times you should, probably should have let up over here. You're never going to get it perfect. But did you know that the Bible says parenting is not about perfection? It's about direction. I can prove it to you. L look at this verse. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. I want you to think about what you're doing here. You're shooting them into the next generation. You say, what, what are we doing? What's the end game? The end game. Listen, here's the end game according to God's word. For them to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ who love Jesus, who are about his kingdom, who see that there's much more than this world offers, that there's a world to come. And you're literally directing them in that direction. And you do anything in your power as a parent to make sure they're going in that direction. There's be time, there will be times in which it'll be completely out of your control. How many of you know that as parents? Well, guess what? It's not plan B, it's plan A again. We go to the Lord in prayer and we pray, God, do something here. <laughs> Tina's mother had a testimony. My wife's mother had a testimony that when, when she started kind of getting sideways, her mother prayed, this is tough, Lord, do whatever it takes to bring her back in line to your will, your ways, and your word. You say, you're telling on her, huh? No, I've heard her tell other people that. And y'all, that's what it takes. And sometimes that's hard to watch. And sometimes that's, that's tough. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, as they play softly, I just want you to sit there and let's, Father, we just come to you. And, Lord, this thing called parenting, I'm convinced it's one of the most difficult things you've ever asked us to do. And Father, I just pray for each one in this room. I, I don't care if it's grandparents or parents or guardians or those that help take care of children, whatever. Father, help us to realize that there's a tremendous responsibility when it comes to the lives of children. And Father, I know that there's some that may be here now, that may be teenagers or children that are here even right now, and they would say, you know something, I, I don't have the privilege of having parents in my life right now. I don't, I don't have that provision in my life. So what do I do? Lord, I pray that you'll just reveal to them that the authorities that have been placed in their life can represent the same things that those parents should be doing. And Father, I pray for parents, Lord, that if, if for anything else that we've been challenged here this morning, we've been challenged by your word to bring the boundaries that need to be brought into our children's lives, to speak into our children's lives, to mentor and mirror what you desire us to be as parents before our children. Father, I know there's many in this room just like myself that we have regrets. There's things we wish we'd have done differently. There's things we wish we'd have paid more attention to. There's things that we wish we were not naive about. But Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'd just help us to realize that your mercies are new every day. And for them grandchildren, sometimes we get a do-over, and we praise you for that. And I just pray, Lord, that you just continue to move mightily in our hearts through this message. We thank you for what you've done here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'll invite